He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you to recap the 2023 U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club. We had a former Cowboy win our nation's championship over this past week, guys. We got to dive into all of that. But before we kind of dive into the leaderboard, fellas, I just want to get your initial reactions now that we had a full week at L.A. Country Club. What were your thoughts on the course? T-Dub, I'll start with you. We had this discussion on the radio show. I thought that it produced a great leaderboard. Now, on Sunday, to me, it got a little boring at times. Uh, But at the same time, you had Rory, Scheffler, Cam Smith, Fleetwood, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim. You had John Rahm even sneak into the top 10, along with Austin Eckroat and Xander Shoffley and Dustin Johnson. All those guys were up there. I think part of it that made it boring for the casual golf fan was Wyndham Clark won, but he's a rising star on the PGA Tour. I thought that it was one of the more enjoyable U.S. Opens I've watched in the past decade. Guys, I may be out on a limb, but I really like this course. I truly did. I thought it was a great test. I think that the first round scores being so low really set a bad tone for the whole week going forward. I mean, you had two sixty-two shots the first day. That's going to make people think the course is a little too easy. And then you look at it the next day going forward, and it played a little bit harder, just never extremely difficult. But then you look at how it, the last couple of days when it started to firm up, and, and then how it played from there with some a few tougher pin locations. I, I thought it was a really good test. I was texting with our man. Colby Powell about this earlier and just some things that I mentioned to him were was that I, I do agree that there were situations where the fairways probably could have been narrowed a little bit I think that especially on 18 I feel like five about five yards on each side was probably a little too wide for the finishing hole of a major championship I, I think that 15 is a was a pretty anticlimactic hole when you look at all things considered Wyndham Clark guys made the only bogey there yesterday I feel like in the final round of a U.S. Open for that to be one bogey out of everyone, that's probably not a good sign that it's the best hole ever, especially when it's the 69th hole of a tournament. But I think holes like, I think one's a really good starting hole for a par five. I love hole number two. I love hole four, the par three downhill. Six is a great job with par four. I thought 12 was a great hole. It was only 380 yards and it played four point, it played point two shots over par, which is something you hardly ever see from a hole that short. And I thought 14 was a really great par five. So, I mean, Woody, I'd really like to get your thoughts considering that you played the course, but overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. Well, I feel surprised a lot of guys, especially Kepka, just was never really an issue in this tournament. I think simply because he just didn't like that golf course. And I still don't know why he wouldn't like that golf course. But having said all that, I think the weekend, T.W., you were spot on when you said the first day, it looked like, oh, wow, this isn't even going to be any good. This is going to be a lot of birdies. And, Yes, the golf course gives a lot of birdies, but it also gives a lot of bogeys, double bogeys, and sometimes triples and quadruple bogeys, as Dustin Johnson. But the weekend showed what this golf course was. The, 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 the one thing that stands out to me all the time in these opens and majors, you watch on Saturday and Sunday, especially Sunday, the proximity to the hole, guys, was not very close. 
That's right. You couldn't get a golf ball close to the hole. And this golf tournament, more than any other, will give you a real misrepresentation of how far they hit the ball. Because you'd see 200-yard, you know, fairway shots that are seven irons and sometimes six irons. Well, they're not hitting it 200 yards. They're only trying to fly it about 180, 175, and then take a hop and roll back there. So it's a little misleading. I know the regular golfer out there is going, golly, he hit a seven iron 200 yards. No, he hit a seven iron a long way. He might hit a seven iron 170, 75 yards, but that's the only way he can get close to that 200-yard hole. So the proximity to the hole that day, if nothing else, if you're an average golfer and you're a golfer that wants to get better, learn how to lag putt as good as a tour pro does, and you'd be amazed how much lower your scores would be. Yeah, no doubt about it. I thought it was interesting in that final round to see some of the short game shots that were played, particularly from Wyndham Clark. If we start talking about this leaderboard, fellas, I mean... Things got a little dicey on eight when he probably should have taken an unplayable lie. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to make the point about the short game shots because after he hit the second shot from the bush over the green, he had a great short game shot there, you know, kind of chunking, running it down the hill to a couple feet, uh, had the great up and down on nine. Remember the great chip shot on 17. I mean, he hit so many clutch solid chip shots in that final round that maybe the casual golf fan thought was a little boring but those are nervy little shots and he pulled off all sorts of different types of shots the chunk and run the flop shot the tight lied shot on 17 like every single short game shot that he had to pull off he did and maybe it's just me being a golf nerd but I really enjoyed watching him pull those shots off to win the U.S. Open T-Dub. Oh, 100% agree. I just, the analytics will back that up too. He gained 1.2 shots around the green for the entire event, which is really good. He gained 1.35 yesterday. And yeah, it's, those shots around the green are so tricky because you're making, it, it, the shot is not going a very far distance most of the time. Some shots you need only hit upwards of a yard and a half. But yet you have to make such a fast swing to be able to generate enough force to get the club through the grass onto the ball and you can get it to plop out. So there's, it's such a different type of feel that you need, Woody, to be able to get out of that rough. And, I mean, it's there's a lot of different ways you can do it. There was a real popular video uh, this last week of Rom talking to uh, Phil Mickelson about how to do it, talking about how he kind of feels, Phil's talking about how he kind of releases the toe through it. I'd actually never heard that before, but that was pretty good. And Tiger Woods' book talks about how you put a lot of weight on your left foot and, and you almost just stab the club into the ground to plop it out. So I don't know. You, you played a lot more rough similar to that, Woody. What was your way of getting around uh, grass like that? Well, Bermuda grass is so much different. And not only they have Bermuda, but then they had that tall kind of fescue-ish type stuff too. So they had a variety of different kind of positions they could get themselves into. I always was – the hardest thing for me, T-Dub, was what you said. You have to have enough energy to get the club through that gnarly stuff. And, you know, like the one shot that really showed that Wyndham on eight where he hit the second time after that, that, that debacle he was having, and it flew over the whole green almost. So I think what was most impressive to me, not only were they able to move that ball, you know, a yard, yard and a half, two yards, but then to judge how once the ball got on the green, how to time the roll of it, like almost putting from there, and to get that ball to release and just kind of roll it by the hole, I saw some phenomenal chip shots, some shots that I was just so impressed with. But, Sam, you are on the mark with 
he won that golf tournament. Not only did he strike the ball well, he hit a, a lot of good golf shots. He hit a few loose ones on the back nine, but he drove the ball better than anybody. His pitching, though, was unbelievable. 17, I thought he might even putt that ball. And when I saw he had that sandwich out off that real tight line, I said, obviously he's confident. He's not worried about his nerves, and then he almost holds it. It's so, nerve-wracking. I mean, what do you explain that shot to the casual amateur out there, weekend warrior, what kind of nerves you're feeling? Because I'm sure that you know people don't feel those type of nerves uh, just out playing with their buddies on the weekend. Explain what goes through your hands when you're and why it makes it so tough to hit those little you know, simple chip shots under pressure. What's so hard in that is that the speed is critical when you're pitching the balls the way they were. So you have to have just enough speed. And Sam, sometimes when you put that speed, you don't really use your body much, and then you throw your hands at it. And when you do that, guys, it can look really, really bad from either a blade or a chunk. And so what it tells me is even though he's in the moment of something that is so nerve-wracking, he has control of his emotions and his body. His body is still working. He's not so nervous that he just throws his hands at it. He uses his body. He rotates his body with that speed. And the shot he hit on 17 might have been the most impressive chip he hit, even though it was a bare lie. It was not in the rough. But those are the ones that can get really difficult when you're a little nerved up. And, man, he just flipped that thing up there with, nice little spin and it rolls right up like i said he almost made the chip shot Mm -hmm. so he showed me a whole lot coming down that stretch guys about how he was able to play like a world-class golfer and we know he is he just hadn't shown it yet he did at wells fargo i was really impressed with him but i wasn't for sure he could handle that back nine and darned if he didn't he just he blew me away with that back nine, how well he was composed in the shots he hit. No doubt about it. You're right on the money with Wyndham Clark. We'll get into him a whole lot more throughout the rest of this show. But to wrap up our thoughts on L.A. Country Club, by the way, they are headed back uh, to L.A. Country Club in 2039. Let me read off where the U.S. Open men's venues are coming up in the future. You got Pinehurst, Oakmont, Shinnecock, Pebble, Winged Foot, Pinehurst, Marion, Riviera, which is not announced yet, but it's expected in 31 to go to Riviera, Pebble, Oakmont, Oakland Hills, Pinehurst. Then you have an open date in 36. Then 37 is Pebble, open date in 38, and LA Country Club is 39. So we know where the U.S. Open is going to be uh, for the foreseeable future, T-Dub. But I thought that it was a good week overall from LA Country Club for all the crap that they got on Thursday when two guys tied the all-time major record shooting back-to-back 62s with Xander and, and Fowler. That was eight under par, T-Dub, and the winning score was 10 under. Exactly, and neither of the guys that shot the 62 played better than even par the rest of the week. So that shows how the teeth of the course really definitely started to come out whenever the, the marine layer coming in as, as dense as it did in that first day is really what did it. And then it, a lot of days it would move out by the time the afternoon groups go. So that was a benefit of them starting so late, which I know a lot of people were, at least the players were not a fan of having to finish at daylight, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the actual course set, just shows George C. Thomas is one of the more underrated course architects of all time. He truly is. The, the fact that he's only designed essentially probably three well-known golf courses 
with this one, you have Riviera, and then he did Bel Air Country Club, which not a lot of people have seen, but I know that it's an extremely great course. It's those those three courses are so great in themselves, and they're so unique in, in their own aspects. I think what, what really brings out the beauty of it, there are a couple other things with the course, like holes number three and eight. I'm not particularly a fan of the whole slope, the way it slopes, what it led to was kind of a funneling effect of every ball got hit into one general location. I wouldn't have minded it so much, but on a lot of times I saw balls land in the rough and still kick down. I That's guess what the I was about to say, slope. T-Dub. I mean, even in that final round, remember when Rory hit it, hit even a you know high yaw three wood up into that hill and the rough didn't catch it. It was too steep. 100%. And what that leads to is a lot of balls ending up in the same place. You're not being essentially penalized for a bad shot. You have what, 70 yards that you can hit a ball into. All you have to do is not hit a ride into the Barranca, and you're going to be fine or not snap hook the hell out of it. If you do that, you deserve to be a bad shot anyway. So I do agree, Woody, that there were some places that for a U.S. Open, the type of shots should have been a little bit more penalized. But the fact that the scoring was so low relatively on the first day, and you look at the final scores, I mean, John Rom finished shot three under and finished 10th place. I mean, that's not a sign that your tournament was overwhelmingly an easy course. So I thought that it could have been a lot easier in a lot of aspects, but I do agree that there are some areas to where it could have been made a little tougher, especially if they had they known the, the marine layer was going to come in on the first day, they could have made the course a little bit firmer, but it's really hard to prognosticate things like that. So I, I'm not going to be as critical as a lot of people are, but I do understand some criticisms for sure. I think the golf course held its own. I was a little shocked at the first day. I was, I was like you guys with 262s. I was going, holy cow, how are they shooting 62 on that golf course? Well, then the more you watch it, the more you kind of understand a little bit the marine layer was used. Uh, didn't have any wind. It stayed pretty soft. And that, when you have that, that makes a golf course gettable for those guys in a big way. I didn't realize that, that he'd also designed Bel Air cut because I, I will tell you guys that there's, those three golf courses in L.A. are the three best. That's where I would play. Okay, you're going to L.A. Where you want to play, I'd go to those three golf courses. So, well, no, you wouldn't I, because you I, couldn't get on, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three of the most exclusive places. Yeah, yeah well, I, I got on it one time just because there was a tournament there. Uh, <laughs> there, is a, there is a guy here that, that I keep that is a member there. Really? Believe it or not. And I, I told him one time, I said, you know, I, I'd, I'd give you a year's worth of lessons if you just fire up the jet and let's go to LA country club, <laughs> you got to make that happen, um, Woody. I, I mean, I, I would, I would, I'd go in a heartbeat to be honest with you guys, but I, you know, I think, I think what I told you guys before the tournament started, I'm glad to hear both of you enjoyed watching it because it really is a truly a gym. And, and when you look at that, where it is, is even more mind boggling to me when they do those aerial shots and, you see downtown L.A., you see Sunset Boulevard, and I, I was a little disappointed in some of the little houses, the shacks they had around it, and I'm being very <laughs> sarcastic here. Um, I didn't remember that so much, guys, when I played it, but then watching the air and then looking at it from the golf course, some of those houses were just mind-boggling to me. Um, the one you always ask about, Sam, was the Playboy Mansion, and you couldn't see any of it. You couldn't see one to the Playboy Mansion when you play there. Even the fence, there, there's no way you're seeing it. So, all in all, I'm really glad you two enjoyed it because I knew it was going to be fun to watch it. And uh, I reminisced quite a bit on Sunday afternoon looking at all those different shots. Now, 
I didn't play it as far back as those guys did, not even close. But I saw the same holes. I saw the same difficulty. And I thought it was hard when I played it. The greens were fairly soft and slow. So it just shows you how good a world-class PGA Tour player is. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. To wrap it up, I, I mean, obviously, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland all said they didn't like the course very much for different reasons. Brooks said, which I technically agree with, that he didn't like the blind tee shots. I can, you know, take or leave blind tee shots, but... I think all in all, you have to look at the leaderboard that it produced, and it produced one hell of a leaderboard. Uh, so let's dive into that, T-Dub. Wyndham Clark obviously wins the U.S. Open at 10 under par. Rory McIlroy solo second at 9 under par. Scotty Scheffler in third at 7 under par. Cam Smith shoots 3 under in the final round to vault himself up into solo fourth. And then tied for fifth, you had Tommy Fleetwood, who had a putt for 62, which means that he has now shot two different 63s since he missed that putt yesterday. He shot one uh, a few years ago at Shinnecock, and so now he definitely has two 63s in U.S. Opens, which is crazy, but he gets into a tied for fifth place with Minwoo Lee, who also shot three under in the final round, and Ricky Fowler, who shot five under over in the final round did not have his best stuff to round out the top 10 you had Tom Kim Harris English tied for eighth at four under and then tied for 10th and because Dustin Johnson bogeyed number 18 Austin Eckroat officially finished top 10 in the 2023 U.S. Open and Austin Eckroat had a putt for 28 on the front nine in the final round of the U.S. Open yesterday. He ended up shooting five under par for the round, and that got him into a tie for 10th with John Rahm, who shot five under in the final round as well, and then Xander Shoffley, who shot two over, along with Dustin Johnson, who shot the same thing, T-Dub. Let's go ahead and start with Wyndham Clark, because we've talked a lot about him throughout the week, and even a couple weeks ago when he stared down Xander Shoffley and didn't go anywhere at the Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow. And the thing that people don't realize that are casual golf fans and just watch the PGA Tour live, they don't realize that Wyndham Clark was a can't-miss guy. And he was the biggest recruit that Oklahoma State got at the time. And then, you know, he went through a little slump when his mom got sick and then he didn't make the Big 12 championship starting five for OSU. I think he got a little sideways with Bratton at the time and also was struggling with mental health along with uh, everything that was going on with his mother having cancer and he transfers to the University of Oregon and then kind of takes his time getting started on the PGA Tour. And when I talk about Wyndham Clark, by the way, when he thinks of college, and he said, quote, when I think of college, I think of Oklahoma State. I think it was one of those situations when transferring that he just needed a different scenery at the University of Oregon instead of Oklahoma State University. But T-Dub, sometimes what it brings to my mind is people forget that it's about the journey, and sometimes the journey makes the destination that much sweeter. And I really, really thoroughly enjoyed watching Wyndham Clark talk about not only the struggles of going through his mom passing away of cancer, but how he has matured not only as a man, but as a golfer as well, 
you know, he was a hothead, and there's no other way to put it. He was really, really hard on himself, and in that final round, he had major adversity, and he overcame it and didn't lose his cool, and it was a totally different dub than we saw about a decade ago, and for a guy like that to overcome not only the stuff off the course, but his own emotions on the course, I thought it was one of the best stories, if not the best story of the year in the game of golf. It, was, it truly was. It really when you know everything that the kid's been through and the ups and downs that he's needed to be able to get to this point. It truly does bring you to a, a tear to your eye in all endeavors. And a lot of the stuff that happened to him happened just right down the door from us at Oklahoma State. He credited Mike McGraw so much in his development and the journey that he needed to go on. They even had a coach on on one of the golf shows, and and I heard a little bit of interview from him. That was great stuff. So and, and to be Mike clear, was one so of the pe- best. So people aren't confused. Just to be clear, Mike McGraw recruited Wyndham Clark and was there throughout his first year at Oklahoma State. Then Bratton came in Wyndham's second year. But go ahead. Yes, yeah. And he, he, even uh, Wyndham Clark in this post-round interview was highly courteous of Mike McGraw and the stuff that he's done. So he definitely knows that he had a huge impact on the journey that he's been on to this point. And you look at how he's played to start this year. We all mentioned the Wells Fargo, and we were kind of ripping Xander Shoffley more than we were giving Wyndham Clark credit at that point but then you look at how he's played even before that he finished third in the team event down at the Zurich he finished sixth and fifth uh, he finished sixth at the opposite field event Pujicana finished fifth down at the Valspar and even after winning this tournament he moved up to the eighth player analytically ranked and the 13th overall in the official world golf rankings which is a little bit of a joke but still that he it shows that where how far that he's come up to up to this point it's been pretty pretty good to see and he won this tournament guys with every aspect except his irons he gained 1.8 shots Putting, he gained 1.2 around the green. He gained 1.4 off the tee. He actually lost strokes game with the irons, Woody. I don't know the last time that a U, that even a major championship winner lost strokes game approach. It was crazy that every other aspect of his game was so good, but the irons, for whatever reason, he'd been a great ball striker this year. Just didn't seem to be there, but it showed his maturity that he was able to get around that. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of really suspect irons, but the little part three that he bogeyed, the only guy bogey in the field, I thought that was really one of his worst swings. And he kind of got a good break that he didn't get in the deep stuff. And then he didn't hit what I'd call very quality chip and didn't hit a good putt. But I think, Sam, you can relate a little bit better than any of us to this because of your mother's fighting cancer. When you have emotional issues, golf is one of the toughest games, I think, possibly to play. Now, I'm prejudiced because that's what I played. I'm sure all aspects of life are difficult when you're going through that kind of uh, up and downs and tragedy in your family. But that young man really took it really, really hard. It set him back a number of years. And I think it even made him angrier than what he was before, which was kind of hard to imagine because he was, as you said, Sam, a hothead. He he could go off on the drop of a hat, and everybody kept trying to help him to say, hey, this is keeping you from being the kind of player you need to be or should be. John Rahm fought it, too, and still fights it a little bit. So to watch that last nine holes, and I credit his caddy, his best friend there, who was also a really good player that kept him in the moment, didn't let him twist off or get where he was losing his concentration he kept him in the moment and that was huge for that young man he is uh 
John Ellis, by the way, is his name. Big big time caddy. Big time caddy. Big time friend of Wyndham Clark. They're really, really close. I mean, you could see that when the final putt dropped, the emotion in both of them. And having played majors and having not been in the hunt in all of them necessarily, but having played them, I just don't think anybody can fully understand how emotionally and physically and mentally draining that is to go through that torture test. So uh, it is rare that you see a guy win a major and then even play the next week, let alone play good, because I think they're physically and mentally kaput, okay? I think they're done. So for him, that he stayed in the moment that well in that back nine, uh, you know, they both, both he and his caddy won that tournament. I, I, that's just my two cents on that. Normally, I'm not a big caddy guy, but in this case, I think that caddy was huge for him. I could not agree more with that, Woody. And people are going to focus on the second shot at 14 and basically, you know, years down the line, say that's probably the shot that won him the golf tournament, considering what Rory did on 14. And it's just kind of an obvious turning point in the round. But people are going to forget that Wyndham bogeyed 15 and was the only person to bogey 15 all day. Uh, and then bogeyed 16 as well. And 17 and 18 T-Dub are two of the hardest holes on the golf course. For him to right the ship right there was massive and get that ball up and down on 17 and then really play a solid textbook 18th hole with all the commotion that was going on around him. I mean, you have to have extreme mental toughness to do what he did and I think that John Ellis was a big part in that and then you can also go back to the other turning point where he ended up getting up and down I guess you would say up up and down on eight but he ended up walking away from eight uh, with a bogey after all the craziness that went on on that hole and then he pars the next five holes after that debacle that kind of happened on eight so both times things got a little dicey Wyndham Clark righted the ship T-Dub. Yes, he did. Yeah, being able to only get, make, escape with a bogey after leaving it into the, the Barranca bush there on eight, I think was a big, big step as well. And also, too, just being able to come out and make three birdies in the first six holes. I mean, that was two more birdies than Rory made all day yesterday. So that's got to be an accomplishment within itself. And the, the shot they hit on four was a beautiful shot in there. The, the shot on 14, as you mentioned, was great. And that's the one that most people will focus on. I, and I said. The shot that he hit on 16, the third shot I thought was a really good shot, too. He just didn't make the putt. I thought he was going to make that. Maybe took a little bit too long over it to look at it. But as what he was talking about earlier, the, the shot on 17 is going to be vastly underrated shot. I thought that was absolutely great. The touch that you needed there in the situation all, all in all. Because his best finish in a major, guys, before this was 75th place. To be able to find a gap in between those, to find a win, is pretty crazy. And then Woody as well, the lag putt on 18 which was truly beautiful. You were just thinking maybe it's a four or five feet higher short. We're going to have a little bit of tester hit up to 18 inches and seal the deal. That, that showed a lot of minerals there for sure. Hey, and Woody, listen to this stat because T-Dub just kind of alluded to it. Golfers to win the U.S. Open on their first made cut, Wyndham Clark, Lucas Glover, Lee Jansen, and Orville Moody. It's only been done four times. Yeah, I, that's why none of us picked him, okay? That's why he wasn't even talked about and our pre-U.S. Open predictions and everything else, which, we, we, uh, in fairness to all of us, but we, we all said, well, it's an open. Anything can happen. But to think that he would be able to say that 
oh, committed focus the whole week. If you're a betting person, if you're a golfer, you don't think he's the guy, except if you're T-Dub, who picked him <laughs> to win. But on Sunday, uh, most people would, would, would say Scheffler, um, for sure Scheffler, but probably Rory, uh, even Fowler, as much as Fowler struggled, he had played in majors and played well. So Wyndham Clark was not the guy you thought would be able to control himself that last day. But I think, why do we love golf so much, guys? Because you don't know. You do not know what's going on mentally, physically with these players. And obviously, Wyndham Clark was confident in himself. He thought he was the best player out there. And when all the dust settled, that's all that matters because he's the one holding the golf club. If he believes all what we think and everybody else thinks makes no difference. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I got two more things on Wyndham Clark. Then we're going to get to Rory McIlroy. One of them, fellas, is that this is not just some no-name. Wyndham Clark is going to win more, and it's almost scary how good and solid he is in every single aspect of his game. This week, as far as his field ranking for driving distance on all drives, he averaged 317.2 yards. That ranked second in the field. Strokes gained off the tee, he gained 5.4 total, which ranked second in the field. Strokes gained putting, he gained 7.3, which ranked fourth in the field. This guy, and then, ironically, we spent the whole time and the whole start of this show talking about his short game. This guy really has no weaknesses, and he really just needed that jolt of confidence that he got at the Wells Fargo staring down Xander Shoffley and beating him in that elevated event. And now that he has that confidence, look out, golf world, because this guy was a can't-miss guy when he was younger, and he's back to having that same confidence again, T-Dub. Oh, absolutely. He's going to win numerous times the rest of his career. He's probably going to win again this year. I'd be happy. I don't know if I'd be shocked if he didn't win again, but he's definitely going to get 10 in a lot of tournaments for sure. And he's probably solidified himself onto a Ryder Cup spot as well. So that'll be interesting to see him. Second over in the Rome. Ryder that'll Cup be... standings right now. Yes, and rightfully so. He deserves himself a spot there. One thing that's interesting is that I mentioned his iron play. Only one time before this tournament had he lost strokes gain with the irons since January uh, at the American Express. And so he, he has an off week with the irons and he wins the U.S. Open. It's absolutely unbelievable in that same there was only two times that he lost strokes game putting in there. So he's, he hit the ball far. He usually hits his irons really good. And he and 85% of the time, he puts exceptionally well. Woody, if that's not a recipe for success, I don't know what is. I can only think of one time where putter sales went off the charts. That's when Jack Nicklaus in 86 won the Masters, and he was putting with this oversized McGregor ZT, I don't even know what the name of it was, but <laughs> it's, an ugly, it's an ugly big black putter is what it is, Woody. It, it, it is ugly, and but it sold off the rack after Nicholas won that tournament. So I'd be curious to see how many people are going out and getting the fat grip a little long. Uh, I'm not even sure who made that putter. I apologize. I don't know, but I would imagine putter sales will go up astronomically because he and Fowler are putting with the exact same putter. And what I found uh, really funny is Wyndham Clark was playing at, at home in Florida with, with Fowler and saw him make everything with this putter one day. And he said, let me see that. And 
change to that putter, which changed his whole perspective on how good a putter he is. I don't, I don't really put that much into the set that you were giving us with his iron play that week. It wasn't good. I, I hear you, but I, I don't know from an iron standpoint, you, you couldn't really shoot at those flags like we talked about. Your proximity to the hole was a long way. I will say this. When he missed with those irons the most times, what I saw were little pulls. They weren't horrible shots, but they were pulls. He, he likes to fade the golf ball, and usually when they're pulling the ball like that, what it is is it's just that it's just not enough trust in the release of the club to let the ball actually fail. It fade. You you would think a fade is you drag the club through the through the ball, not necessarily. You can release and fade the golf ball, and that's what I saw. I felt like he drug a couple of those iron shots, especially seventeen. That was one of the worst shots I saw him hit, and that didn't hurt him. But uh, the one on fifteen wasn't the best iron shot either. He kind of pulled that one also. Uh, that's what I saw, guys. But other than that, he drove that golf ball so well. And that, that, that's the one club that you had to get really good there because the rough was so penal. Wide fairways, but you could still miss them. And when they did, we, we all saw that penalty for missing in that Bermuda rough. Um, we played enough at Oak Tree, guys. And when that Bermuda enough rough gets really gnarly like that, it doesn't have to be four or five inches. It can be two inches. And when that ball drops to the bottom of it, well, you saw the damage it did and the carnage. They they were hitting some of those balls and couldn't move it for 100 yards. So the bottom line in all this, who played the best, really, especially the last nine holes, Wyndham Clark. Usually when that happens, they're holding the trophy. No doubt about it. And you bring up the driving, and I thought it was interesting that before the day we said the top four have a 95% chance to win. Turns out it was a 100% chance that one guy in that top four were going to win. But Wyndham Clark was the only guy out of Rory, Ricky, Scheffler, and Harris English that hits a fade off the tee primarily. And I thought that that was interesting considering a lot of people thought this course sets up perfect for a draw. The guy that fades the ball off the tee ends up winning the golf tournament. The last thing I have, fellas, on Wyndham Clark, it's more on the USGA. I thought it was kind of Bush League what the USGA did to Wyndham Clark on that 18th hole, making him wait an extra three minutes to bring the fans who were extremely rowdy, even though there weren't very many of them. They kept yelling and being obnoxious. I don't think Rowdy's the right word. Rowdy's kind of positive. They were obnoxious fans in L.A. Even one fan said, you know, where's Oklahoma or whatever. I wonder how much that idiot's paying in taxes out in California, by the way. But my point is the USGA wanted to create this scene around 18 and bring the fans in. But Wyndham Clark still had to two-putt to win the golf tournament. Imagine that he three-putts after making him wait three minutes, T-Dub, to bring all the fans in. And then they got to go back, clear all the fans off, and play the 18th hole again after he just had a debacle and you made him wait three extra minutes to manufacture some scene because you didn't want fans around the clubhouse. I thought that was kind of Bush League. And I'm glad that he two-putted. I'm really glad you put it too. I was a little shocked, in all honesty, when I saw those people 
I don't know. Maybe it was a scenario of everyone just kind of band together and say, hey, let's just go run out of here. No, but no, no. That was I, predetermined. If, if it, it was predetermined by the USGA. They said, if we do not think there's going to be a playoff, we will let the fans merge in front of the green since they did not allow the fans by the clubhouse. But there could have been a playoff, is my point. That was predetermined before the tournament. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, it was a 60-footer. You're more likely to three-putt that than you are to one-putt it. Yeah, no, that was it was a stupid decision in all parts. It ended up not mattering, which is a good thing, Woody. But yeah, I, I was I was really shocked when I saw all those people coming in. I get it; it's kind of a classic thing to have all the fans run up there like that. And, and I'm, I was not thrilled with the amount of people that were there. They obviously we talked about on the radio show yesterday that a lot of the the members bought up the tickets and for corporate and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of just general admission tickets. But with some of the things that people were yelling out in the crowd. I'm actually probably a little bit glad that there wasn't more people there with. Well, here we go again, because I can be, I'll give you my politically incorrect, because when I lived in California, I was told by a Californian, so I can't get in too much trouble, because a Californian <laughs> told me this. California, boys, is like a bowl of granola. What isn't fruits and flakes is nuts, okay? <laughs> so what? what what you have is a bowl of granola flooded out into that fairway, and the moron is where is Oklahoma? You don't, you can't even imagine how many times in California they would look at me and go, "Where are you from?" I said, "I'm from a state that'll whip your ass if you don't shut up." Okay, <laughs> so you know, you just California. If it wasn't great weather, nobody would live there in their right mind. It's it's just nuts. So. I was a little disappointed, like you, Sam, because I felt sorry for Wyndham Clark. He's sitting there wanting to hit this pot so bad. But then there's this other side of me that thought, you know, maybe that little time there is good for him. That he and John can talk and his caddy. They can they can kind of get their mind on what they're trying to do. He's lag putting beautifully all, all day, all week. So just go through your routine when everybody slows down. And do what you've been doing all week, and that's exactly what he did. He hit one of the best lag putts when your fingers have no feeling, when your heart is beating faster than you've ever had a beat in your life, and your brain is in a fog. He lagged it up there to 18 inches. Like I said, the boy deserved to win the golf tournament, and he did. He absolutely did, fellas. Now that we've given all the credit in the world to Wyndham Clark, let's talk about Rory McIlroy, who shoots even par in his final round. He birdied the first hole, thought that he really had this tournament in the palm of his hands. Fellas, he was tied for the lead, and he just couldn't make any putts. Same story, different major for Rory McIlroy. I'll put my hand up and say I was wrong on this one, fellas. I thought this week was different. I thought that this was, out of all the majors in the past 10 years that Rory has missed out on, this was his best chance to win one of those. He was the obvious favorite headed into Sunday. You got Wyndham Clark, who's never been in that position before ahead of him, and Ricky Fowler, who hasn't been in that position in a long time and showed it on Sunday. All he had to do was basically go out there and beat Wyndham Clark and put some pressure on Wyndham Clark. And, fellas, we talked so much about what Wyndham Clark did on eight. Let's talk about what Rory McIlroy did on eight. 
That is when he missed that first short putt inside seven feet. The first putt that he missed inside seven feet all week was on number eight, and he just couldn't get a putt to fall. And it honestly, guys, it just looked like Rory McIlroy was scared to win the golf tournament. It looked like he had no guts, no onions. And guess what? Rory McIlroy is headed home from another major without the trophy teed up. The primary reason for me picking Wyndham Clark yesterday morning on the radio show to win was that you just had the irresistible force paradox. You had Rory McIlroy can't go out and win a major. You have Ricky Fowles there at one in three years and then never won a major. So I just went by the dominoes. Yeah, Scotty Shepard couldn't make a putt. So I said, okay, well, let's just cross it out and we'll go with them. And you get down to Rory, and yes, the, the putt on eight was where, was where it happened. Because there was a few times earlier in the round, he made a couple of you know, five to six foot par putts. And he was taking a little bit longer on them. One of them he lipped in, and you could tell he just wasn't comfortable. And I, I thought, yeah, there's going to be some time coming up where he's not going to make one of those. And sure enough, it was for birdie on that hole. And then I don't know what the hell he was doing on 14. I, everyone keeps talking about he could go for it from, from the lie in the rough. He, it, the main thing was he hit a horrible tee shot. You don't need to pull it that bad. That seems to be the miss because you cannot go right on that hole. But yet, he's one of the best drivers in the in the world. He's driving it the best this week. You need to put that ball in the fairway, build put in position. So I go back to that shot. I don't have a, a horrible problem with him laying up there. It, I mean, he laid up right in the middle of the fairway. You just have to hit a better wet shot. He probably could have laid up a little shot. bit closer. Let's call it how it is. It, it was, was horrible. Worst, it was one of the worst wet shots I've ever seen and from a, a player. Supposed being, the thing was, it's a typical Rory McIlroy wet shot is what it is. It was just not ideal. And then, yes, it, if it plugs in the front of that bunker and the lip of it, or if it's five years ago and they hadn't changed the rule about embedded balls, then, yeah, he would have been completely screwed. But luckily, he got to drop out. Then he hits a not very good pitch shot. And then what do you know? Did not make a, a putt in uh, a 10-footer for par. And that was, yeah, it was his kryptonite. He poured his, he, he did not make a birdie his last 17 holes of the tournament, Woody. If you cannot make one birdie in the last 17 holes of a major, you don't deserve a win, point blank. Well, I agree. And I, I will tell you, he's the worst wedge player on the PGA Tour. To be as world-class player as he is, he's the worst. He ought to take a page from Dustin Johnson, who was not a great wedge player, got a track man out, and figured out to hit the wedges the right way. I'll tell you what I don't like about Rory McIlroy. As good a player as he is, and he might be the best player in the world, I will say he's not day in and day out simply because he can't win a major. The thing I hate the most, is how he hits his tee shots. Yes, he hits them straight a lot of times. He hits them forever. But when it comes down to the nut cutting, as you say, Sam, he doesn't have the onions. No, what he has is a bag full of Brussels sprouts. And I'm picking on Brussels sprouts because I think they suck. Uh, but <laughs> he, he sucks. When it comes down to the bottom line, gentlemen, his driver, when he has to hit it in play, if he doesn't learn how to hit a low-cut shot one day, he might not never win a major. The, the fact that he got away with that duck hook he hit on 17, getting all the way over in two fairways, where he could get to the green and almost make birdie, that shouldn't ever happen. He hit a drive that was 50 yards offline, okay? 50. It, his fairway's almost 50 yards wide there, and he missed it another 50 out in the two fairway, okay? Don't tell me how great a player he is. I'm sick of people telling me how great a player Rory McIlroy is. I disagree. I disagree, and I disagree right to his face. I'd tell him, hey, learn how to drive your golf ball when that shit's in your neck and you're choking like a rat. 
Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Coming down the stretch, he didn't drive it the same that he drove it the previous, you know, three and a half rounds. And he never does. He never does, Sam. And fellas, like, what excuse are we going to make for Rory McIlroy now? It seems like there's an excuse after every single tournament. This was the week where he was fully focused on golf. And fellas, after the round, I hear Brandel Chamblee talking about the reason why he lost this golf tournament is he doesn't take practice strokes when he's putting I mean really guys just have some guts and make the putts that you need to make or take advantage of the opportunities that you had like on eight or on 14 like T-Dub brought up you got the luckiest break in the history of golf maybe and he didn't get it up and down and that would have put immense pressure on Wyndham Clark but the reason why Wyndham Clark won was because he didn't back down and Rory McIlroy again T-Dub again backs down from the pressure of winning a major championship and yes we're holding Rory to a high standard but so does everybody else and I feel like sometimes people just aren't honest about Rory McIlroy he just doesn't have that killer instinct. He's not an assassin, T-Dub. He's just a really good player. No, there, there's no dog in Rory at this point. It was sad to see. No, honestly, I felt like I went into a time machine. I was watching last year's Open Championship with just the, the lackadaisical pars that were being made, and I was just waiting like, okay, that's good to do on 15 holes of a U.S. Open, but you need to go birdie a couple of them. you got to go do something spectacular. And I thought it was going to be on 14, the par 5, instead of making – birdie like I thought he was going to do he made a bogey and that was a two-shot difference that done him in had he birdied that hole and had all things transpired the same I get things could play out differently but yet he would have could have won the tournament by one shot at that point point. and the thing that I was thinking about last night guys and I think it's coming to fruition which is a pretty funny comparison here because Rory's talked so much smack on him I think Rory's becoming this generation's Greg Norman he truly is he's so talented the best driver of this generation more than likely but yet when the stage comes there Woody he just cannot get it done I added it up earlier. Besides his four wins, he has 13 finishes in top fives of majors. 13. And you can't convert any more of those into wins for comparison. I added up Greg Norman's. He has his two wins. I believe I may have counted this wrong, but I believe I counted 18 tournaments where he finished in the top five and didn't win. So he's approaching that category. I get he has two more majors than him, but it's been a decade now since he's won Woody. I think that it's pretty funny. He talked so much shit on Greg Norman, especially last year and even a little bit this year. And the fact that their games and their reputations on the course are becoming so similar, it's honestly kind of a joke. Well, you stole that one from me. I, I'm proud of you because I was getting ready to say that same thing because that's who he reminds me of. Greg Norman, I got to play in that era when he was out there, and he was amazing how good he was. But he never seemed to win that big one, like you said. And, Sam, here's a funny stat from our well, our buddy Brandel Shambly sticks his foot in his mouth again. Who's the best putter on the PGA Tour, guys? Denny McCarthy. Well, besides him, who who can make putts in the clutch better than anybody you've watched, especially majors? Because he did it yesterday too. Cam Smith, but he's on Cam live. Smith, I wouldn't yeah, okay, that. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Cam Smith on live. Okay, well, I see. I just they're, they've merged, didn't you know? So I, I that's right. You're allowed to say that now. Right. Yeah. No, the one in the same now, Woody. Yes, Cam right. Smith is the okay. best putter in the world. Right, Cam Smith's the best putter in the world. Well, that's funny. Cam Smith doesn't take a practice stroke, guys. Cam Smith does not take a practice stroke before he puts his golf ball. Watch him. Trust me, I'm right. Okay, so 
to say, well, Rory should have taken practice strokes. Well, once again, Brando Chambly, you're a freaking moron. That has nothing to do with being a good putter. I've known a lot of great putters that don't take practice strokes, okay? So all we've talked about here, it still comes down to the guy has no onions. Like I said, he's got Brussels sprouts. He can't hit a driver when he needs to because he doesn't have the right shot. He's not a pit bull when he needs to be. All he is is a really nice guy, I guess, and a great player that can't win. I don't want that on my team. Sorry. Woody, to your point right there, Rory in the first round, he gained 2.8 shots putting. He gained 1.9 in the second round. The weekend, he lost 1.1, and then on or, or Saturday, he lost 1.1, and then the weekend, he lost 2. So were you critiquing uh, the fact that he wasn't practicing doing practice strokes when he was gaining all those shots in the first round? You really think, like, Brandon, you really think that that's a damn problem? Give me a break. <laughs> They're just trying to make up for it. They love him. And, and when somebody loves somebody, hey, trust me, when Greg Norman won Winning Makers and everybody loved Greg Norman, they made excuses for him, too. I never heard anybody make anything excuses for Tiger. I never heard any excuses for Jack Nicholas. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they won, and they won a lot. And they finished second a lot. They finished the top five. But between them, they've got 33 majors, okay? 33 of them. There's who I would have in a dogfight with me, not Rory McIlroy. It just boggles my mind how the guy in the U.S. Open over the last four years, who now has five top tens, that ranks first, Total birdies, he ranks first. Off the tee, he ranks first. And strokes gained totally ranks first in the U.S. Open. And what we just talked about, him losing the driver down the stretch of this U.S. Open, not making birdies in the final round of this U.S. Open. And now he has five top tens in the last five years, fellas. Um, It just doesn't make any sense. The only thing that I can say is that he just doesn't have that dog in him And it means that the main problem with Rory McIlroy is the six inches between the ears, T-Dub. And it shocks me that, yes, obviously this week he was motivated to go out and tie Brooks, but he just doesn't get the job done like Brooks Kepka does when he puts himself in contention. Oh, I completely agree that the dog is not there. I'm not going to doubt his desire to win. I don't think that's a problem. But at the same time, you have to go out and take the bull by the horns, as I was saying earlier, and he just wasn't able to do that. I'll say this about Rory when it comes to his majors in particular. We got at the British Open this year at Hoylake, which he won there in 2014. I don't have the years in front of me, but I know the PJ Championship's going to Valhalla very soon, which he won there in 2014. I may be next year, actually. And then the U.S. Open, I believe, or some other, maybe the PGA is going to Congressional very soon as well, which I know that he won there PGA. in 2011. It's going there in 2011, or that's where what the U.S. Open was in 2011 when he won. So if Rory's going to get it done soon, guys, he, he he could rattle off a lot of them because he's going to venues that he's had success at in the past. But at this point, if if he can get it done, I do think he'll win again. I don't think Rory will end his career with five majors. I think he'll either stay at four, he can't get over the hump, or if he does win another one, I think he'll get up to six or seven, in my opinion. That's how I think he'll go out for Rory. But there's a lot to be determined there, and like Sam says, he can't fix that's six inches between his ears on Sundays, he's going to have a long road. The one technical thing I'll say about Rory McIlroy, now he hit a ton of greens this week, but it's cost him in the past the fact that 
Rory McIlroy out of the top five players in the OWGR. Scotty Scheffler, Greens and Regulation, ranks first. John Rahm ranks third. Patrick Cantlay ranks sixth. And Victor Hovland ranks tied for 56th. Rory McIlroy in Greens and Regulation this season on the PGA Tour ranks 145th in greens and regulation. And we saw that creep in on number 14 when he hit that terrible wedge shot and really, I mean, opened the door for Wyndham Clark or didn't really put any more pressure on Wyndham Clark. And I feel like he's done that time and time again, whether it be late in final rounds or early in final rounds. T-Dub loves the stat of Rory in final rounds. He What is he ranked like 135th in final round scoring average on the PGA tour we saw the same thing at the pga when he short-sighted himself twice early in that final round the guy just needs to get with bob rotella or tiger or someone who can tell him the mindset that he needs to win golf tournaments because it's not talent it's all between the ears with rory mcelroy guys let's move on let's talk about one of the other guys that was in the top four headed into Sunday is actually tied for the lead headed into Sunday. That is Ricky Fowler. And Ricky goes out there and shoots five over par in the final round, shoots five under for the tournament and finishes tied for fifth. Ricky was just really struggling. It never seemed like he really settled into the round. He was missing right off the tee quite a bit early in that round and never really gave himself some good birdie looks to kind of settle into the round, T-Dub, and it just looked like he hadn't been there in a few years. The thing I'll say about Ricky that was sad was that I could tell after the first, his second or third bogey, he he bogeyed two, five, and seven. I can't remember exactly when it was, but at that point, I just thought to see his body language just kind of slouch a little bit. He just didn't seem to be as confident as he had been. The first the first few days, which was sad to see. I wanted him to come out be a killer, but as we've seen, it's it's hard to whenever you haven't been there in that situation, it's very difficult. He lost Joe Skane off the tee yesterday, not that many, but still did not drive it well at all. He lost three shots approach to green, which is absolutely terrible, and he lost a shot and a half when it comes to on the green. If not for a short game, he would have shot a lot worse. Woody, I know you and a lot of other people were wanting Ricky to win, so you come on here and gloat against me, saying how I had zero percent chances to add to win. I just thought that he would start playing before the week. I thought he, thought he would start playing worse on Saturday, but then he played good then. But after he three putted on Saturday to close that day, he played his last 19 holes of the tournament six over. That's just not something you could do if you want to go out to win tournaments. Hopefully, this was a learning step for Ricky and he can break through the barrier soon. I do think he's going to have to win a PGA Tour event before he can win major championship, but maybe I'm wrong because he almost proved me wrong this week if he just could add one more better round. Like I said, Woody, hopefully he can learn from this, but I still think that Ricky's game is definitely on the right track, and he's getting pretty close to being as good as he was at one point. But he's similar to Rory, the between-the-ears stuff, he does have to work on that a little bit. There's no doubt. I think he made big hurdles this week. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Butch Herman wasn't watching that golf tournament, and they talked pretty soon after of what he lost in those oh, – his swing didn't look quite as good. He just wasn't as committed to me. He just, I, I think what you said is very, very true. It was the last round of a major, and he's tied to the lead when he starts it. That's probably the best test for a golf swing that you could ever want to see if it's ready or not. It, it's close. It's really close. And uh, 
uh, I still am committed to him winning this week, and I know or winning this year, and Sam is too. But I, you know, I I didn't expect seventy five. I, I would have been really shocked if he'd have won, guys. I, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I didn't expect that swing to oh get that far off. Or it wasn't really far off. That's a bad terminology. The trust in that swing wasn't there Sunday. Uh, it doesn't shock me. But I think he learned a lot, and I think it's just that one more step towards where you're talking. I'd love to pick him this next week, but I think mentally he's just got to be tired. He's probably not not focused enough to pull it off up in Connecticut, but I still think he's going to win. Fellas, let's talk about Xander Shoffley because he was the third guy along with Ricky and Rory that were involved in that final round pillow fight that broke out out at LA Country Club. He was six under par for the golf tournament after shooting one under on the front nine and he goes to one of the easiest holes on the golf course, number 10, and ends up making triple after he hit it in the front bunker that he you know, bladed it over the green, then, you know, took three more shots to get down from there, ended up making triple on number 10 and then plays even part all the way in, did bogey 18, um, but he did get a birdie at 11 right after the triple, but he, along with Rory McIlroy, seem like they just have no dog in them, T-Dub. I mean, you're six under par with a pos- – you're in position to put some pressure on Wyndham Clark up there, and he could have put pressure on Rory as well. And it just it just seems like every time Xander is in that position in major championships, he turns into a completely different golfer and does a 180 from what he's been doing the first three days, T-Dub. And really, we kind of saw it creep in on Saturday – for Xander this week, but we've seen it in final rounds and weekends for Xander in major championships time and time again. And we saw it really, ironically, we saw it at the Wells Fargo when Wyndham Clark stared him down and beat him at the Wells Fargo too. What's up with Xander in the final rounds? It's interesting to see how Xander went through this week. Shot the 62 in the first round, which stole the headlines him and Ricky did. But then you even look back on Friday, right? And he had a stretch. 13, 14, and 15 went bogey, bogey, bogey. And 14 is the par 5 in there. So you think, okay, well, that's not very good. 15 is a little short. Par 3, that's probably not ideal. Then you look at Saturday, he bogeys 1, 3, and 5 coming out of the gate, which were not playing overly tough at all. And then coming down the stretch, he was able to make birdie 6, 8, 9 on Saturday, but then bogey 13, 14, and 17 coming in, which those are playing tough. There's a little bit of credit there, but at the same time, he's still not playing near as good of a league golf as he was on Thursday. It's hard to replicate that exact form, but you can at least get a little close to it. And then yesterday was just a total disaster once the back nine started. Luckily, he was able to birdie eight and nine on the front nine to gain a little bit of momentum. But then, as you, Sam, you detail perfectly how he made that triple. It was just not an ideal way to do it. Typical stuff you see in the U.S. Open, but whenever he's your one-and-done pick for the week, you want him to do a little bit better than that and then played even par the rest of the way made a nice birdie on 11 but then missed like a four or five footer on 18 and i'm just sorry to make sure on, he didn't on, on 10 tw he didn't hit in the rough he took a club that could get him into that bunker remember he was actually in the lip of that bunker that's why he went bunker to bunker on 10 it's just stupid mental mistakes like that yeah on what was a very easy hole relatively to that day when you compare it to everyone else that was that played it, it played under par. And with the exception of 15, it was the only hole on the back nine that played under par. 
And it was there was only one double bogey or worse on that hole yesterday, and it was Xander Shoffley's triple. So congratulations, buddy. Just what we needed to do when I picked you in the one and done. I will say this. He's playing very, very consistent golf right now, very consistent. Finished 10th, 24th, 18th, 2nd, 4th, 4th, and then 10th back of the Masters. Then his recent major finishes since his last missed cut, which was at the Masters last year, 10th, 18th, 10th, 15th, 14th, and 13th. So, Woody, if there's a more surefire bet in the world than Xander Schauffele finishing 10th to 15th in a major right now, I don't know what what one, what that bet would be. Well, I don't either. I mean, that that's pretty good analogy there. When I watch Xander, and you guys talk about that dog, that's the difference to me. Um, Brooks Koepka got dog, but Tiger Woods had more dog than anybody. If I'm looking at that back nine and I'm near the lead or getting close to where I can put some heat on somebody, Man, what a perfect nine that back nine was. Now, it was so hard, but if you could go out like Cam Smith did, she's three under on that back nine, do you know how quickly you could have been a U.S. Open champion for for all those guys we were talking about? Ricky, Xander, Rory, all of them. If they go out on that back nine, and yes, it's hard. I understand that. But is it doable? Yes, it's doable because somebody did it. So I just, I don't know, guys. I, I've never thought that Xander was all that that much compared to a lot of people because of what you just talked about. I haven't seen, I want that guy that when you're playing against him, that he will cut your heart out and stomp on it. Now, he might be nice to you when it's done, but during that battle, during that heat of that battle, I want that guy. I want that guy that will cut your heart out and stomp on it. I don't see that in Rory. I don't see that in Xander. There's a number of guys I do not see that in out there. They're world-class players. That's why they're not winning me. I'm sorry, but that's, uh, that, that's what I believe. Okay. So the reason why I didn't include Scotty Scheffler's name in the pillow fight along with Rory and with Xander and with Ricky Fowler is because when I watch Scotty Scheffler, he hits all the tough shots. Now, he did have the one where his foot slipped on number seven. He hit it into the junk over there, got the you know great break that the tower was in front of him, ends up making bogey on seven, but bounces right back with a birdie on eight after hitting two beautiful shots. But fellas... How many putts did Scotty Scheffler hit yesterday where it was just no chance off the face? It was like everything we've been talking about, it was literally that round yesterday was the epitome of what we've been talking about with Scotty Scheffler all year, where he's absolutely striping it, hitting all the tough shots you need to hit to win a U.S. Open, and you can't buy a putt. I mean, that hole to Scotty Scheffler, T-Dub, has to look as small as a thimble. The biggest question mark I had after this tournament is when I got on our analytics strokes game stat, and I saw that Scotty Scheffler gained shots putting for the week. He gained .29. I said, there's not a chance in hell he gained strokes game putting. So I had to go back, and I had to deep dive and figure out exactly what happened. He lost uh, over a shot yesterday, which explains it. But the thing about it, though, guys, is that you see it all the time where a putter just can't buy a putt. It's lipping out. It falls a revolution short or has a dirty, dirty 180 lip out. Something like that happens, and you just can't buy a putt. Scotty Scheffler's putts don't never have a chance to go in the hole. That's what's crazy about it. He has so many just horribly atrocious putts, putts, Woody, from someone who hits the ball so good 
If he could just figure out his putting, maybe he needs to try a mallet putter. Maybe try a different design. I don't know. Something like that. I, I don't think he needs to try to change his putter grip. I don't think he's at that point yet. But if he wants to, so be it. Because the putting is holding him back from being from winning 10 times in the last calendar year because he hits the ball so much better than everyone else. Oh, for sure. I if he putted like Cam Smith, you know how many tournaments he wins? He would have won this one by about 12. Oh, by I could have won all of them by about 12, but he's been in the top five. I, I would tell you this, and I don't teach Scotty Scheffler. I don't know what he and Randy Smith work on. I would put him on a putting green, and I'd have him put at one of those little holes a lot, okay? Get his focus back on that because if you lift those out in a real hole you'd make them okay so first thing i do is i make a lot of putts at little holes the other thing i'm worried about what you guys are seeing there that's direct correlation to he's lost his ability to either read greens well or his speed is horrible so it's one of those two okay either they're reading these greens so badly which i doubt they're doing that so that tells me that he's lost his speed, which means if he can't feel his speed, there's something going on with his stroke, whether it's decelling coming in or maybe trying to accelerate the ball to the hole. I'm not sure what it is, guys, but I can I know enough about golf to tell you that's wrong. Something has changed with his tempo and his stroke or something. I don't know what it is because I've I am paid that much attention. I don't get to watch him putt every day. But something's changed there. He and Randy Smith need to go back. And if they have film of his old putting stroke when he was making a lot of putts, put it on a timer to find out was how much, how many seconds went back, how many seconds coming into the ball, how far was the follow through. Get that. Figure it out because his time, his tempo and his timing and his speeds are absolutely atrocious right now. And it's weird, Woody, because I've played a ton of golf with Scotty Scheffler and against Scotty Scheffler in the same tournaments. I'm talking about Dayton all the way back to when he was playing at Highland Park High School. Back in in the Texas high school days, I played against him, Woody, and he was never a bad putter. He was a good putter back in the day. And even now, you watch him putt, and it doesn't look yippy. It just off the face. All of a sudden, it's way left with way too much speed. I mean, you know, it's not the same thing as like a Will Zalatoris who obviously like has the yips, right, where it looks really herky-jerky. I mean, what what is going on, you know, as far as his face at impact, it's clearly not where he thinks it is, right? I understand the speed aspect of it, but he's not even getting these balls started online or even on the line that he chose. Like numerous times yesterday, how many left to right putts did he miss right yesterday? A ton. A bunch. A bunch. And and again, Sam, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about some guys take the putter back a little shorter and accelerate quite a bit into the ball. Other guys like Crenshaw with one, uh, you know, Cam Smith takes it back pretty far, guys, and then he has a, a, the speed coming into the ball is perfect, okay? When you're when you're losing your putter face, as the way Scotty Scheffler is losing his putter face, something's happened with the tempo of the swing at the back swing and the, and the swing into the golf ball, okay? Something's changed there, and What's crazy about putting a golf ball is it doesn't take much to completely screw you up, okay? 
the other thing that he's fighting right now, he wants so badly to make a putt. Well, when you're going through that, there's a lot of times, forget about making the putt. How about we just get a good roll on the ball? And what you said, Sam, hit my spot. Hit where I'm looking. Figure out where that is. And now if I'm hitting that spot with the right speed and the ball doesn't go in, then I'm misreading my putts, right? But if I'm hitting my spot with the right speed and I'm not thinking so much, i got to make this, i got to make this. No, for crying out loud, just roll the golf ball over your spot. See if you can get that done first. And if he can, if he can start doing that again, all of a sudden, guys, this will go from a guy we're worried about to a guy we go, "What the heck happened?" T Dub, I have you a. You have to go figure this out. He he definitely has to figure it out. T Dub, I have a question for you, and I know that you study this stuff as well. You give lessons now too, and and I'm curious if you see the same thing that I do as far as his posture when he is. He's one of those interesting guys that, you know, it seems like with ball striking, it's all about feel. He kind of lets his feet do what they want. He doesn't really have that straight back posture. You know, he kind of lets his shoulders slump a little bit. But when he's putting, it seems like he's very upright, but then his shoulders are slumped. I just wonder if maybe he adjusted his posture a little bit, if that would help. I don't know. I'm just, it's one of those weird phenomenons with Scotty Scheffler where it doesn't look that bad. It just, you know, looks bad once it comes off the face. The posture, it can look stiff and rigid at times. So maybe that's the thing, getting a little too tense in his hands. I'd love to know what his grip pressure is. Because you have the old analogy, you want to hold it like a baby bird where it doesn't have enough power to fly away but you're not going to choke the bird to death I, you would not want to kill a baby bird that doesn't sound like a good thing so but generally what happens is when a good player that i've seen and then that putting goes bad it happens for three things there's three key elements to putting what, what he alluded to it perfectly speed line and commitment what will happen is is that one of those things will go wrong for example like his green reading maybe he's, he's his eyesight maybe there's something wrong that he's not seeing there so all of a sudden he, he questions his line then from there, you're questioning the speed because speed determines the line. If you don't know how hard you're going to hit the putt, you have no idea what line to take. So then that bleeds into commitment because you're questioning what to do. So I think, Woody, what's happening is, is that everything's just coming full circle right now with Scotty Scheffler in the sense of I don't know exactly where it started, but now all of those three things are now blown into this horrible vortex. That The reason I think that maybe a switch in putters will be good to free him up a little bit, and as you guys have pointed out, the face angle, a mouth putter is going to help the face angle stay a lot more square then if it comes through, it looks to me like he has a very what you would want with a with a blade style putter of you want the the toe to release back and then release through, but it looks like sometimes he releases it or the toe kind of opens up a little bit too much on the backswing and then he has to do too much hand manipulation. Comes that's what I've seen. So that's why maybe a putter change would be good for him. Maybe a check on grip pressure would be good too. But he's got to figure out one. He either has to become confident again, or he needs to check his eyesight and he needs to. Make sure that he's in the center of the putter head, too, to determine how hard the speed is. So all, all those things right now are off of Scotty Scheffler, which is a, a sign that the, the likelihood of him just turning it around, of him having a good putting day could happen, but, then, but the odds of him having a really good putting tournament right now are probably pretty slim. And Woody, I completely agree with what T-Dub just said. He needs to swallow his pride and go to a mallet for the first time uh, for Scotty Scheffler. I think that that would be the first thing that I would tell him to do, even if it doesn't feel comfortable. It can't get any worse. He's like 250th in the data golf putting rankings. Well, there's only the only thing scary about that, Sam, is you either have a face balance putter, most mallet putters are face balance, or you have a toe-hanging putter. 
which he has always putted with a toe-hanging putter, which means what what Pete was saying is there's a little bit more of an art. There's a releasing of the putter. I'm not sure he could go to a mallet because that means he's got to kind of change his stroke. Guys, I'll just tell you what Crenshaw used to tell me. He was the best putter I'd ever seen. And any time I'd ask him anything about putting, he would tell me two things. One is, is I don't care how you stand to it as long as you're comfortable. If you're comfortable, don't worry about anything else. Get comfortable. Because a lot of times people say, well, you can't have those angles. You can't have this. You can't have that. No, Crenshaw used to always tell me, get comfortable. The, the other thing that he would make a big point of is what I just said earlier to you. Quit trying to make putts. Just see if you can roll the golf ball. Start hitting it what T-Dub said. Make sure you're hitting it solid. Make sure the ball is hitting the line you're looking for. Then go from there. And if you do those things, you would be amazed, guys, how quickly you can become a good putter. A thing that amazes me about putters is they're all different. I'll go back to Cam Smith. Doesn't take practice strokes. Cam Smith's not like anybody else, too. He grips his putter fairly tight. Most good players will tell you they want it almost falling out of their hands. Cam Smith says, no, I'm gripping it pretty tight. So what it tells you, everybody has their little niche that makes them a good putter. Scotty Scheffler has been, like you said, Sam, since you've known him as little kids, he's been a good putter. Don't panic. For goodness sakes, don't change grips. Don't change putters. Go back to the basics. Go back to making solid contact, getting the golf ball to roll, and then just go from there. It, they'll start falling again. I promise you they'll start falling again for him. Good stuff there on Scotty Scheffler, fellas. Let's go ahead and take a break. Then after the break, we'll wrap up, give some final thoughts on not only LA Country Club, but the U.S. Open in 2023 as well, and give our thoughts on what Wyndham Clark's future might look like here on the PGA Tour. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you on the 73rd hole. Definitely make sure to go hit that subscribe button on Spotify and the follow button on Apple. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode and also follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. I'm at Sam Humphreys. 34 on Twitter. We'll be back right after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Old Podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step by step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And 
we are back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you wrapping up our U.S. Open recap. And T-Dub, one interesting thing I noticed during the final round on the NBC broadcast was the fact that not only was there a plane flying in circles the entire time that was a you know a buzzing noise the entire time, it seemed like NBC didn't have their levels right where Smiley Kaufman or you know even Paul Azinger at times, but mainly the on-course reporters, I was not able to hear them over the crowd noise, T-Dub. I thought that that was really annoying watching the final round. There's something getting into doing this podcast, having to do the auto or the audio and editing and things like that. You understand that, you know, there, there's certain, you got to make sure things sound a decent way, right? And we know now what goes into that. And yes, being now on the side of it and seeing how it really didn't work for them. Cause I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, I can't understand what these guys are saying whatsoever. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting at, at this point now being able to see and knowing that they should have picked it up. And I'm sure most people at home, they're just saying, like, what in the world is going on here? I can't understand. They're probably turning up their volume for when they speak. And then once someone else starts talking, it sounds like an amphitheater in there. So, yeah, uh, a technical difficulty from them on, on NBC. But whenever what do you include Paul Azing or Scoreball announcing with everything else in it, it wasn't the best <laughs> viewership product of all time. I guess it could have been worse. At least I, at least I enjoyed the golf course. Hey, T-Dub, it's not going to catch the hill. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> That's not going to get close to the hole. Oops. Yeah, I did. Anything like call. I, I don't know. I mean, I would hate to be a broadcaster because there's so many ways that you can screw up, and and to uh, to pull the really good good stuff out is a lot harder than it looks. But I I thought the same thing, guys. I'm already deaf. My wife tells me that all the time, and so I couldn't catch a lot of it. And uh, the airplane flying around that that's more annoying than the blimp. The blimp kind of has its moments where it fires up its engine and then it's quiet but that airplane was just a constant buzz you're right so i don't again there was a lot of stuff good and i don't want to nitpick on the bad yeah there there was a lot of good stuff about la country club i just for some reason i couldn't hear smiley kaufman or uh paul azinger at times now i did hear him say that that ball wouldn't catch the hill i just thought that was an interesting moment entertaining moment yeah. for t-dub who has been tough on paul azinger <laughs> since he began i instantly thought of t-dub when he said that but you're exactly right woody it's tougher than it looks fellas one other interesting thing that happened in that final round by the way Sargent goes out and wins the low am shoots four over for the golf tournament or did he he really shot three over for the golf tournament uh but fellas on the 18th hole he absolutely dead center cups this three foot putt and it pops out hits the back lining of the hole and pops back out right toward him uh t-dub have you ever seen anything like that i have actually there's a, a tournament here in chickasha that's played every year and a lot of times they cannot cut the cups low enough as they should be i've seen it probably four or five times in all honesty in the tournament it's never happened to me luckily because i would have rage quit and i would have went and found someone and said <laughs> you need to fix this damn Joe daily and throw your hat down <laughs> yeah it, it would if it ever happened to me if you they would have been more remembered for my scene than the fact that the ball did not go in the hole funny story it actually happened to uh, Jeff McCray, the owner of McCray Roofing, one of our great sponsors. It actually happened to him one time in that tournament. It's just a four-footer dead straight in. It's a great putt going maybe. If it missed the hole, it would go a foot past the hole, but it's a 
dead center. Could not have been a more center putt. Would have went in on the little small holes that Woody was talking about earlier. And it just hit and popped straight back. And you could look up there and the, the cup was it supposed to be about an inch below the dirt or shoot, about an inch of dirt is what you need to have. And it was there maybe half a centimeter or something ridiculous like that. And so I don't know, Woody, you played a lot more golf than me. I'm sure you you have a situation like that as well. Really, what I found is is that, that usually when that cup's not set deep enough, the ball has to have a little bit more speed, and it can do that. Um, I, I can only remember one time where it happened to me, and it actually happened in a little nine-hole course in Perry when I was just a little kid. I wasn't maybe 13, 14 years old, and they were using the metal. It wasn't plastic at the time. It was a metal one, and they hadn't gotten it deep enough. I hit the bottom of the cup and it popped out it went in and hit the metal on the bottom and came out that was the only thing i've i've never seen that happen ever but it just so happened that it was uh the nine hole course at perry and i didn't go hunting anybody down because i was too small to really threaten anybody <laughs> so i just tapped it in and went about my business that's good stuff there uh fellas let's go ahead and wrap up this u.s open like i said earlier Wyndham clark winning after everything he's been through was one of the best stories in the game of golf if not the best story in the game of golf throughout the year and i look for Wyndham clark to have continued success not only in major championships but elevated events everything that he plays in going forward look out because this guy has no weaknesses in his game Wyndham Clark winning with all of those great short game shots on that back nine on that final nine at the U.S. Open really showed me something and he is going to be a star on the PGA Tour T-Dub. I 100% agree the kid has a bright future I expect him to win multiple more times on the PGA Tour and more than likely win another major championship for us all said and done as we were saying earlier he hits it so far off the tee he's and he's usually hits his irons good. This was actually an off week, and he still won. And he usually putts extremely well. If you're going to hit the ball far and you can make putts, you're going to be able to play on almost any golf course in the world. So, yeah, no, this, this kid has a bright future. It's, and it's a feel-good story as well with everything that's happened with him and his mom. For him to be able to come to this point now is really a beautiful thing to see, Woody. And I, I'm rooting for the kid going forward. No, I don't care if he played at OSU for a stretch or not. I, I root for him because he, he does seem like a good kid. And what he showed at the Wells Fargo and this tournament, Shows that the kid has some minerals for sure. Well, Mike McGraw speaks so highly of him. What little time Mike got to spend with him. So, you know, he must be a really good young man. I think it's cool. This is perfectly fitting that this happens in Hollywood. What a script. There's somebody probably writing it as we speak about Wyndham Clark going through this. It's just perfect that it happened in Hollywood. Here's somebody out there right now as we speak, one of those granola guys, fruits and flakes are a nut. He's putting that script putting that script together right now. The Wyndham Clark story. Ah, I don't know they're big as Hogan's movie, but somebody's doing it, I promise you. There's no doubt about that. After winning the U.S. Open in Hollywood for the first time, Woody, I want to give you the floor here because Wyndham Clark winning this U.S. Open means that he joins Bob Tway, and that's it of major champion winners from Oklahoma State. Bob Tway obviously winning the 1986 PGA Championship. Now Wyndham Clark becomes only the second OSU Cowboy to win a major championship after winning the 2023 U.S. Open. Uh, just speak a little bit about that, Woody. 
it means a lot for that university, and it it means a lot for the state. Anytime we have one of our guys, whether it's OSU or OU, wins a major. You know, when Todd Hamilton won the British Open coming out of Oklahoma University, that was a big deal. It is a big deal. There's only four of them a year. So when you get somebody to do it, it, it is special. I think in the coming years, I think Hoblin will still win one. I truly believe that. So we'll get more guys from Oklahoma State winning majors. But to think that Bob won his in 86, and it took us to 2023 to get another OSU guy, that's just too long. We need to get some more guys in there, and we need to get them winning more majors. And obviously, Verplank was amazing, played many Ryder Cups, probably, you know, arguably the best player to ever come out of Oklahoma State. He couldn't win a major teed up. Why do you think that so many great players like Verplank or Ricky Fowler, Kevin Tway, we could go on down the list, Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, now they're younger, but... I mean, Tita, why do you think it is that this is only the second time we've seen a major champion from Oklahoma State? It's one of the more baffling things I've ever remembered in, in golf. It truly is. You would have thought there's so much great talent that's come through there. There would have been more than this. But it just goes to show that there's uh, majors are hard to come by. There's only four a year, and you're playing against the best fields in golf. Now, a lot of these guys have recently played in the Tiger era as well. And, you know, what he said it best earlier, Jack and Tiger combined have 33 majors. So there's – think about the rest <laughs> of them that are out to get. There's only so many That's so right. many left on the table for that to happen. So I, I think it's just a consequence of golf is hard. I think that's the, the answer to the question. Golf is hard. It's, it's crazy that a, a talent-rich pool like Oklahoma State would surely have more. I, I will say there's one thing I am sure of in this world. It will. How long was it, 86 to 2023? So what is that, 37 years? I'll go ahead and bet that it won't take 37 years for another OSU player to win a major. Yeah, because Ricky's going to win one. <laughs> in, your, in your dreams, Woody. You got as close as you'll ever get this week. I hate to break it to you. Oh, he's killing me, Sam. He's killing me. If you guys, if our listeners missed our Sunday morning radio show, we podcasted it, and I played the clip from January 4th when we did our you know 2023 preview show for the entire year, and Woody guaranteed that Ricky Fowler would win. I thought it might be in the cards yesterday, but T-Dub comes out victorious on that one. I'll let you two battle it out for a second. I mean, I, if I really hated Ricky, I would rub it in right now, but I, I was rooting for Ricky to some extent. I would have loved to see him win this tournament. It would have been fun to hear the, the banter that, that Woody and everyone would throw my way for, what you say yesterday, a calendar year is what it would have been, so I'm glad I at least missed out on that part of it, but, but no, in all seriousness, Ricky is very, very close. He's hitting his irons exceptionally well the biggest thing with with ricky and the exact same thing with rory is between the ears once he gets down once he can get a win on the pj tour i think he's going to be around for a while but at, at least right now what he we've seen it on sundays and we it's, it's a common thing with Rory. It's a common thing with ricky just failure to get it done will he get it done at some point probably will it happen this year that's going to be what we have to wait and see yeah well i know but i'll, I'll make you a deal i won't be as hard on you when he wins as I was on Sam when he picked the Europeans at Whistling Straits. Okay. Well, that, that's a good point. I, 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 that was not little, the best pick in the world. I will be a little kinder, but but I think, I, you know what I love is, is guys that come back. And, and, and you know, we were talking about Burplank earlier. Scott Burplank went through a really rough road and then turned, turned it around and 
played like what you said, Sam, number of Ryder Cups and, and President's Cups and literally became an ATM machine on the PGA Tour. And, and he was down even lower than Ricky was at one point. So I love comeback stories. I love seeing it. So that's why I want Ricky to win and not so much to rub it in on you, but I, I just love a good comeback story. I hope you're right. I, I really do. If Ricky could end up winning again, it's going to be great for the game of golf. Remember 10 years ago when we used to see all those the orange Ricky Fowler Puma stuff and, and you'd have the kids that are seven or eight years old? That's good for golf. That's something that we need to see going forward. And I, I think that Ricky, like I said, I do think he'll win again at some point. I just don't think it'll be this year. I think he needs to have a little bit more, more time to get it in. Maybe potentially could get some form and see it and maybe get into the playoffs when a playoff event. But it looks like Ricky, the biggest thing I have for Ricky is, is he going to be on the Ryder Cup? I'm not sure exactly where he's at in the standings, but I, I feel like that with the way he's been playing, he's got to be a good chance there. So this isn't going to be like we see a Ricky Fowler. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, you guys are both exactly right. I think we're all rooting for Ricky Fowler to get back in the winner's circle, and he's making big strides. I think there's something to be said for putting yourself in that position again, getting those feelings, go back, reassess with Butch, and he'll be right back in that position again because he is striking the ball so much better than he was when he was going through that slump. Fellas, the last thing I have here for you is, speaking of Ricky Fowler, the Ryder Cup projections are getting extremely interesting. You have Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Max Homa, and Patrick Cantlay in your top six for the U.S. Ryder Cup team right now. But then, remember, Zach Johnson gets six Ryder Cup, or six captain's picks this year, and seven through 12 are Jordan Spieth, Cam Young, Sam Burns, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas and Kurt Kitayama, but you also got to factor in names like a Ricky Fowler or a Dustin Johnson or a Tony Finau or, you know, even a Sahiti Gala or a Taylor Gooch. I mean, there's a bunch of big names that are not locked into that top six right now. It's going to get extremely interesting for Zach Johnson to pick this Ryder Cup team, T Dub. Well, it definitely is because if the, if the top six stay, where they are, you're going to have some interesting picks after that. Cam, but for example, Cam Young's down there in eighth. He hasn't been playing particularly well so far this year. Justin Thomas had one of the has ever won the worst stretch of golf I've ever seen from someone who was playing so good just kind of a year ago. Won at Southern Hills since he won at Southern Hills, guys. Here's his major performances: 37th, 53rd, missed cut, 65th, missed cut. He's missed his cuts the last two weeks. Missed the cut here. Missed the cut at the Memorial. He's lost strokes gained putting essentially every tournament this year. At the U.S. Open this week, he drove it horribly and his irons horribly. JT's in a massive, massive slump right now. And you look at the rest of the standings, you think, okay, Kurt Kitayama probably not going to make it. You'd probably rather have Ricky Fowler over him. You'd probably rather have Tony Finau over him. You'd rather have the likes of a Dustin Johnson ahead of him for sure. Even a TG, as you mentioned earlier, or even someone who's in 14th, Denny McCarthy. I'd rather have Denny McCarthy who could make everybody look that over Kitayama. Will Zalatoris is down in 13th place. He's not going to get picked because of his injury. Harris English is 15th. He showed some good signs, but still I think those other guys would be a little bit higher picked. He's so, kind of still know. coming off that injury as well, Harris English. But I think it's going to come yeah. down to Fowler, Finau, and DJ, right? That's what it seems like to me, at least at this point. And you would think that all those guys, maybe Tony Finau would be the pick. It seems like that he has good team camaraderie. Everyone likes him. Everyone likes Dustin Johnson as well, and everyone likes Ricky. So this is going to be now, Woody, a tough test. 
Woody, is there a chance in hell that, you know, Zach Johnson doesn't pick Justin Thomas and goes ahead and puts a guy like Finau and DJ or Finau and Fowler in there and, and doesn't go with the guy who's obviously playing the worst, which is Justin Thomas? He has to, Sam. When you think about this, guys, if you were a captain, are you going to pick a guy that's in a slump, or are you going to pick a guy that's playing well at the time? We all know as golfers we have our ebbs and flows. I'm sorry Justin Thomas is going through a tough time. I hate that for him. But you can't put him on the golf team, on the Ryder Cup team because of his past. You have, have to look at who's got the hot hand going into that event. If you don't pick who's playing the best, then you're an idiot. Zach Johnson would be crazy to go with Justin Thomas if they were picking tomorrow. Now, it might turn around before the Ryder Cup, and if it does, then maybe. But you go with the hot hand on that for sure. T-Dub, I'd tell you this. I mean, even I guess Spieth would be the veteran presence now on that Ryder Cup team, but Spieth and Justin Thomas both – haven't played great golf recently. I mean, Ricky Fowler's played better than both of those guys as of late. So has Tony Finau, and so has Dustin Johnson, to be honest. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. At least, at least Steve, he had a, a, a top five finish at the Memorial. He finished second at the RBC Heritage, almost won in the playoff against Manny Fitzpatrick, and finished fourth at the Masters. So at least he's shown a little bit of form. Has missed two out of his last three cuts, three out of his last five cuts, actually. So there, there is definitely a little bit of, of dip there. But Justin Thomas in my opinion, is in a lot bigger slump than Jordan Spieth is. If I had to rank him, I'd probably still take Spieth over Ricky, but I would I would take Ricky over JT at this moment any time of the day. If you would have said that a calendar year ago, I literally would have drove you to a clinic to make sure you got drug tested because there would have been no chance in hell that that would have ever happened. But here we are in 2023, and not just golf for the entire world is upside down. Well, Wyndham Clark winning definitely threw a wrench in all of this, right, Woody? Hey, Damn, I got to tell you, I'm glad this wasn't a year ago because I'd be going to the bathroom to pee in a cup. So, because uh, <laughs> I'm not on drugs. But, but uh, I'm, I think when you get down to it, speed doesn't scare me in a, as a Ryder Cup player because it's so much, it's match play in a while, every one of them. And he's the kind of guy that drives you crazy in match play because he's the kind of guy that looks like he's out of the hole and then he chips in or he does something really off the charts that drives everybody crazy, makes the crowd go nuts. So speed doesn't scare me on that Ryder Cup team, even though he would be uh, – oh, wow, he'd be interesting to watch because he's going to hit some bad-looking golf shots. But uh, the only thing with speed that scares me right now is his putting. He, If I had to have him make a three-footer to win a match in a Ryder Cup, I'm not sure he can right now, guys. T-Dub, if I were Zach Johnson and I were the captain, obviously, let's say those top six stay the same, where you have Scheffler, Clark, Kepka, Shoffley, Homa, and Cantlay. My captain's picks would be Spieth, Cameron Young, Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson, and my last pick would probably go to Justin Thomas just because he has that experience. Uh, but that would be really hard to tell Ricky Fowler that Justin Thomas is getting the spot over him. So, which players would you say? Would you pick Sam Burns? Would you pick Cam Young? Did you say those names? I said Cam Young. I did not say Sam Burns. So, you would not pick Sam Burns, and you would pick Dustin Johnson and Tony Fino. 
Correct. So, so yes. I, I'm trying to figure out who in the top 12 you would have kicked out. You're obviously we're all agreeing Kitayama unless he wins again. Isn't I would have kicked out. So I would have kicked out Kirk Kitayama and I would have kicked out Sam Burns. That seems about right. At least Sam Burns made a hole in one this week, so that, that's promising for him. But and he is an extremely great putter. He has that going for him as well. So I, I don't know. This is going to be an interesting test. I'll say this: if, if it was a 15 man team. U.S. would have an extremely stout team, but there's going to be some good players that, that are left on the cutting room floor for sure. Most definitely. And, and there always is in the Ryder Cup. So uh, that's the toughest thing about being that captain. He's going to have to make some really hard decisions. It's still a month and a half away, but I don't know how you put Justin Thomas on there, Sam. I'm sorry. And I know he's got history. I know he's got everything. But when you're hitting it and playing as bad as he is, I don't see how you just all of a sudden flip a switch just because it's the Ryder Cup and you play good. I, I'm okay. What do you so what so say that you're out on Justin on Justin Thomas? Then who do you pick between say it's and, and you say you pick Finau and DJ? Who do you pick between Sam Burns, Kirk Kitayama, and Ricky Fowler? I probably would still go with Burns, believe it or not, because. I just think he's the better player in the clutch right now. If Ricky happens to win one between now and that, that Ryder Cup, I think he'd go Ricky because if he can get one in the bag, he's going to turn – you're going to have – boy, he's going to go crazy then. So uh, that's why I say Zach Johnson's got a month here to watch what these guys do leading up. The, the playoffs will be a big thing to watch. To, uh, to see which one of these guys looks like he's in the best form. And whichever guy that is, that's who I'm taking to Paris. What would your six be, T-Dub, assuming those top six stay the same? Gosh dang, it's a great question. I would go I'd go Spieth, Cam Young, Morikawa. Man, this is tough. I'm, I think that at this point, you got to go honestly, I'd probably throw out three. Let's see, I obviously say Kitty Yama's out. I'm probably going to throw JT out as well, and I'm going to throw in Fino and man, I just don't see how I can leave Dustin Johnson off this team, but I don't see a world where he gets picked at this point, unless he wins the British Open or finishes high up there. I just feel like they're, they're going to find some way to get these other guys on there, but I don't see how you don't put Justin Johnson on this team, but yet I keep throwing out these guys, and I'm like, well, how are you not going to have Sam Burns on the team? Justin Thomas is playing horribly, so I would still, but I'd still be shocked if he's not on the team as well, so there's man, there's a lot of factors at play Sam, you said it best earlier. Wyndham Clark threw the biggest wrench in this whole equation of all time. He really did. And I wonder, I know that they're going to say in the media that, you know, the the live win doesn't matter. I wonder if Zach Johnson is sitting at home saying, well, I know that that Dustin Johnson won at Live Tulsa, then finishes top 10 at the U.S. Open. If he's doing an actual, you know, evaluation, he would he would be considering that, right? If he wants the best team, considering how great Dustin Johnson has been in the Ryder Cup in the past. 100%. And that's, that's the thing because they're also the team camaraderie there because Spieth's been open about how much he likes DJ. All the guys like DJ. So the problem you think with live guys would be to come in and, and be a, a cancer for the room, but Dustin Johnson wouldn't be that as well. But Tony Fino, they did that poll in Golf Digest. He's the most liked guy on the PGA Tour. How are you going to leave? him off the team unless he just keeps playing bad. You look at the, the analytics of the situation, and Finau is, what, the 11th-ranked player analytically? I don't know how he could be left off, but Ricky's 12th as well. There's Man, it's it's crazy. But you look at that, like, speech ranked down at 17th. So, going off that, what's crazy about it, too, guys, is that 
Homa's right there in the top six, and he's going to be picked, but he's not been playing very good either, really. I know he was one of my one-and-done picks for some dumbass reason this week, but I should have been right with you, Sam. should have said that he was going to miss the cut. So there's – man, it's just the more that we dive into this, there's the more questions that come up. I have more questions now than I did when we started talking about it. And then, T-Dub, to wrap up the show, let's just kind of recap the European Ryder Cup team right now. Remember that it goes off not only European points, but world points as well. Rory is locked in on European points as well as John Rahm and Yannick Paul is locked in as far as European tour points go. Uh, And then you got Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, and Matthew Fitzpatrick locked in as far as world points go. Uh, that leaves other you know players open like a Victor Perez, an Adrian Moronk, like we saw Tommy Fleetwood, Shane Lowry, Justin Rose. Um, it's hard for me to believe that there's no European on live that's better than Yannick Paul. So you look at the the guys that Europeans going to have. They're going to have a very stellar top seven right there. They'll have Rom, Rory, Hovland, Hatton. Fleetwood's got to be on the team. He's 13th ranked player analytically. Matty Fitz is 14th, so I think that he's got to be on there. He's also 8th in the OWGR. Justin Rose is 19th analytically, so I think that he's got to go on. Then, once you get down there, there's a pretty decent gap between the next European. You have Shane Lowry down at 34th. I think he's probably going to be a pick. And then there's even more gap in here. A lot of Americans trying to scroll down. The next European I see here is a Steven Yeager at 55. So, And then you got the likes of an Adrian Moronk down there. And then I have to scroll even further. Then you get the likes of a Sergio down at 65, who I think that when you include the John Rom aspect of him of them two teaming up, I feel like would be an excellent thing. But I don't know, Woody. The top eight, seven, eight on Europe's pretty good. But then those last four spots, that luckily for the, the Europeans, they, they only play eight players a match in the Ryder Cup. So you'll be able to sit and kind of tailor it around that. But the uh, the bottom quarter of the uh, the European team, Woody, is not going to be near as stout as the Americans. Oh, and it never is. And that's what's always amazing. How do they keep winning? The Americans, well, two years ago at Whistling Straits, you saw how dominant they could be. Now, I know we're going to a foreign soil. They'll trick the golf course up. They'll do whatever they have to do. But when you look at the Americans who we're throwing out, shoot, fire. Luke Donald would love to have who we're throwing out. <laughs> I mean, because he doesn't have that depth that we have. And a Ryder Cup is so different. Those guys will get up. Those eight guys can carry them for a long time, but that's a lot of golf in a one one week, guys, and a lot of pressure for eight guys to carry the whole thing on their back. Uh, it's it's not as big as crime as Sam says this year. He thinks the Europeans have win as it was two years ago. I said I was done giving you crap, but I'm not. Uh, hey, if I'm a European fan, I'm pissed off because there's no way that I want Yannick Paul, Victor Perez, you know, even a Pablo Larathabel or a Alex Noren ahead of a guy like a Paul Casey or a Sergio Garcia, considering how important experience is in the Ryder Cup. Well, you're right there, Sam. No, I totally agree with you. There is no doubt if they leave if they don't go and pick a live player, Luke Donald's making a big mistake, and it's going to probably cost him the Ryder Cup, if you want my opinion. So he's got a big decision to make. It's been made a lot easier for these captains, guys, with this merge. It has been so much easier for them. They, can, they don't have to draw the line in the sand anymore. They've got that opportunity now. Well, they said that they they're not going to you know, let any live guys on the Ryder Cup team for Europe. I know they've said that, but 
you know, there's been stupid things said before, and you got to back down. Just ask Jay Monahan, okay? <laughs> so it, it it can. You don't tell me they can't do it or they can't go back on their word. People do it every day. I see it all the time. So it, it's all about. Hey, you know what? If you want to get your butt handed to you again, Luke, you stay with. What did you say, guys? Yannick, what? I don't even know. Yannick Paul. Paul. Hey, 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 hey! I'll say I'll say this real quick, guys. If the European team does decide not to pick any live players, you know who they should pick? Ludwig Aberg. That would be I, interesting. Would you have Yannick Paul? Would you rather have Yannick Paul or Ludwig Aberg? <laughs> I mean, obviously Ludwig Aberg. Yeah, he's the eighty fourth ranked player analytically. It's not like this is a completely out on the limb pick here. No, and I don't think Luke Donald hadn't got that on his radar. K Dub, I guarantee he's got that on his radar. The thing we have to remember is that Luke Donald isn't even the real captain. The real captain is Henrik Stinson, who isn't allowed to be the Ryder Cup captain and then watch, you know, the <laughs> watch the U.S. put Brooks and DJ on their Ryder Cup team and the Europeans aren't going to put any live guys on there and they're going to get absolutely throttled. I guarantee it. Well, if they do, stupid is and stupid does. That's exactly right. Any final thoughts on the Ryder Cup discussion, T-Dub, before we get out of here? Well, what's, fu- what's funny about it is, let's say we get in a world where Bruce Kepka and Dustin Johnson make the, the U.S. team, and then the Europe decides not to pick any live players, and then they get throttled. Doesn't that n- just make live look even better at that point? That's what I would yeah. think. So it seems like they would be so counterproductive in not picking live guys, because I could understand if you had a situation like we do on the Americans, like if Dustin Johnson doesn't make the team, I'm not going to pro- I probably won't agree with it, but there's so many great names up there that's like, okay, well, who are you going to throw out? But if we get up there and we're, we're throwing out Yannick Paul, Victor Perez is a, is a solid player. I wouldn't be so upset about that. But some of the other names that have been rumored up there to throw in instead of the likes of a Sergio or even a, a Paul Casey, because had they not gone to live, there's a 100% chance that they would be picked for the team. And no, honestly, this is kind of a, a shot in the dark here. 95th ranked player analytically who's been playing pretty good. Padraig Harrington. I think he's a lot better hell to take than Yannick Paul is. You know who so, an I mean, interesting pick might be, considering how deep down this list that Europe is going to have to go since they don't are, they're not going to pick live players is Antoine Rosner, my fellow kangaroo. That'd be pretty epic. Oh, oh my gosh, you're pulling out a roo? Oh, Lord. <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. That <laughs> would be awesome. Not, I'd have to put on my sweatshirt. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can't wait to see how this all shakes out. But for them to just go ahead and say that they're not going to put any live guys on there, it's just hard for me to believe that you know that Luke Donald or you know Henrik Stenson, whoever the captain is uh, on Europe, would not want Sergio Garcia or Paul Casey over Yannick. Paul. Uh, so I think we're going to end the discussion there and reassess in the coming weeks. We will be back on Wednesday for our Travelers preview, and we also will be previewing the Corn Ferry event out at Jimmy Austin coming up this weekend. Definitely make sure to go out and support those Corn Ferry guys out at Jimmy Austin here on our home turf. Fellas, I know that Woody wanted to say one last thing thing here about a golf tournament coming up right Woody that you wanted to let the listeners know about yeah we we mentioned it earlier it's uh it's a fundraiser for the Carl Albert golf team that's going to be played at John Conrad July 14th and 15th I believe is the date and I I gotta tell you guys you you two are playing and I'm going to be playing with my adopted son Caleb King 
And it's a great event. It's a fundraiser, like I said, for their golf tournaments. Two days. You're going to play Friday afternoon, then you're going to play Saturday. Uh, anybody interested in it uh, needs to contact John Conrad Golf Course, and they'll put you in touch with uh, probably Coach Herbert and tell you what, what all's going on in the event. But it's a really going to be a really fun tournament, and uh, it looks like, guys, that uh, we might my my little partner and I are going to maybe get paired with you and uh, T-Dub, Sam. So we'll have two fun days to play golf now. I know we're on a record there when we're playing in these uh, scrambles where we're untouchable, but now I'm going to have to be honest with you guys. I'm going to have to cut your heart out and stomp on it because you're no longer on the team. Are you not in the senior division? <laughs> uh, there is no senior division per se. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. I'm going to the front tee. My partner will play back there with you, you at Yahoo. But I'm going as far up as they'll let me go. And if you think I'm going to apologize when I make birdie from way up there, you're nuts. I'm not going to. So I'll I say this, Woody. Go ahead, and, go ahead and tee off up there. Me and Sam will be 100 yards out after he hits the drive. <laughs> so he will, but I'll only be 99 yards. I'll be right there with you, I hope. <laughs> That's right. I can't wait to get out and play John Conrad. I still haven't played it since they did all the renovations out there. That's going to be a great time. And say those dates one more time. What are you about, about the uh, Carl Albert fundraising golf tournament? It's uh, July 14th and 15th at John Conrad. Like I said, just call the golf course. They'll put you in touch with who they need to. Uh, come on out and enjoy a fun day. We'll be there, and we're going to have a great time, guys. No doubt about it. We'll be doing our show out there and playing some golf out at where Taylor Gooch got his start in the game of golf at John Conrad. Cannot wait for that. T-Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Old Podcast.